On your journey through life, you are the hero. There are times, however, when it is beneficial to have an advisor to guide you along your path. Welcome to the Smart Money Simplified Podcast with Brent Mikosh, certified financial planner, certified investment management analyst, and co-founder of MP Advisors, LLC. In this podcast, Brent discusses some of the most important and interesting topics of the day as they relate to finance, the economy, and beyond. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Smart Money Simplified with Brent Mikosh. Brent, what's going on? What is going on? Well, we're now into the beginning part of May, which is, to me, absolutely fascinating, which means one thing, that we're at least done for those of us that uh, did not file for an extension, and I'm not I'm not in that earlier group. I did file for an extension, but we're done with uh, tax season. So it has me thinking about taxes and, and what are some of the things that we can be doing to help mitigate that in, in terms of our taxable investment accounts. And, and that's what we're going to talk about today. I might have jumped the gun a little bit, but uh, I'm excited about the conversation, so I wanted to dive right into it. Well, this is why I come to you, Brent, because you're the only guy excited about taxes. <laughs> no, I'm not. Actually, it's the whole thing. And and you look at like what what really drives return. And there's obviously there's, there's global macro things that occur in the world. And there's things that individually happen with some of the individual stocks that we might be investing in. But you have some control over the fees. We can control that a little bit. And you also have, have some control to a limited extent, at least trying to get your taxes in, not paying more taxes than you have to. And mm-hmm. there's different strategies, particularly in taxable investment accounts that you can employ to do that. And that's one of the things we're going to be talking about today. Um, so I've got a guest today, as I normally do. I have Siri on Scalpone. She is the head of client portfolio management for Goldman Sachs. And uh, Goldman Sachs, I don't think there's a listener out there that does not know a little bit about this company. They're an absolute you know, monster and a huge player in the finance world in a lot of different areas. And what I think is so exciting is they also do manage some client money as well. And one of the strategies we're going to be talking about today is called direct indexing. And it's a strategy that I know that they pl- employ pretty aggressively within their own client portfolios. And Sirion can can uh, clarify this for me, but it's also one that we're increasingly doing on our end and uh, partnering with Goldman to do this from uh, from our standpoint in terms of managing clients on uh, taxable money as well. So Sirion, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Brent. Really excited to be here. And you are also here in Arizona, is that correct? I am, yes, in Scottsdale. So- so give me, before we dive into the the really, you know, the interesting stuff with taxes, which in this case, I think is interesting because there are some things that people can do to help themselves out. How did you end up in Arizona? Because you were, you were in New York City at one point, correct? I was, yeah. I spent about 20 years in New York City. Uh, missed the city, still love it, but um, and still get out there pretty often. But my family was on the West Coast and we, my husband had an opportunity to move out here. So we decided to move our family out here a few years ago and we love it so far. Now, as a fellow one-time New York City person, and and I don't really talk about these years of my life very much, but some that have listened to the show for a while, um, I was formerly a specialist trader down the floor of the New York Stock Exchange with a company that was majority owned by Bear Stearns. I was down there from 1996 to 2006, so I missed everything that occurred in the wake of the financial crisis. But again, I miss. I, I'm really happy that I don't live in the city now. I love Arizona. But it's a great place to go back to, and it's, it's a great place to uh, to spend some time. So, before we dive into this, just give me a little bit of your background history in terms of how you ended up with Goldman Sachs uh, and what your career path up until today looked like. Yeah, sure. So, I grew up in California, and I went to college at UC Berkeley, um, and then right after undergrad, I went to work for Goldman Sachs as an analyst. I worked in the securities division 
um, in an area of the firm that did securities lending and prime brokerage for our hedge fund clients. Um, and so I had an alternative investment background um, and I wanted to further my, my education. So I ended up going to business school, got my MBA at Columbia. Um, and after Columbia worked a couple of jobs outside, but decided to, to go back to Goldman Sachs around 2009 and join Goldman Sachs asset management um, and have, have been there ever since and, and have worked in a few different areas. But uh, now, as you mentioned, I'm head of client portfolio management for the direct indexing business at Goldman Sachs Asset Management. Now, tell me a little bit about Goldman Sachs Asset Management, because most of us, when we think of Goldman Sachs, we think of the large institutional presence that Goldman Sachs has. So give me a little bit of feedback on what your asset management group, or, or I guess, would you call it a private client group? Is that what you call it within Goldman Sachs? Yeah, so we have um, our, our division that that combines the asset management part of the firm, which is the part of the firm that is managing outside uh, assets, right? So whether it's from institutional clients, uh, financial advisors, um, and then we have the the wealth management component, which consists of our private wealth management, and that's managing individuals' assets. And give us an idea for the listeners if you want to be a not that I'm certainly pitching anybody to go go to Goldman Sachs. But if you wanted to be a Goldman Sachs private private wealth client, uh, give me some ideas of what those clients look like. So we have a, a couple of different, uh, I guess, wealth um, parts of the wealth spectrum. Our ultra high net worth clients tend to have twenty million and higher in in um, investable assets. And then we have a, an area of the firm um, the that's called PFM, and that is a, a little bit lower in, in the spectrum. Um, so that's usually about five million and above. So by any measure, you know these are these are wealthy people. They've done fairly well in their lives, and they've accumulated some assets. In your experience, what do they care about? Yes, well, uh, particularly when it comes to investing and in, in, in the stock market, um, most of these types of investors are not trying to shoot the lights out, right? They they already have a lot of assets and, and they want to protect those assets, right? And so they don't necessarily care about outperforming the market by by many percentage points. Many of them just want to to preserve their wealth. Um, so that that's one. And then I think the next is uh, they care about uh, being efficient about taxes. So you know they they have worked hard, they've earned a lot of money, and they want to they want to keep what they've earned, and and so tax management is certainly always top of mind for them. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that in the sense that I think that you know it's kind of a great paradox of this business is when you have people that have come in and accumulate a certain amount of money, they don't need to take an exceptional amount of risk, and it's quite frankly it's kind of silly for them to do so. Whereas those that may be a little bit behind behind the game or haven't quite won the game yet. You know they want to take risks to try to get themselves where they need to be moving forward, but they really can't. You know, so it is kind of a great paradox of the business. But I would agree with you in the sense that I have yet to meet a client at any income level or any wealth level uh, that wants to pay more taxes than they are legally required to do, and are not willing to uh, utilize all the different advantages and tax strategies that that are out there and that are um, available for people to use. And so this brings us into this conversation, direct indexing, because I think it's I think it's definitely an exciting development, particularly for managing taxable accounts. But give me the Goldman Sachs story on what direct indexing is. Now, now we're very different than everybody knows an index fund and, you know, the S&P 500 index. But we're talking about something very different here. So for our listeners, 
we're not talking about just buying the Vanguard ETF that tracks the S&P 500. We're talking about something very different. So could you expand that a little bit, Syrian? Yeah, sure. So um, so this is a, a strategy and, and a capability and really a solution for clients. And direct indexing is this idea that the investor can own a portfolio of stocks that is going to behave like the broad market, right? So it'll behave like the diversified broad market, but instead the investor directly owns the underlying securities within a separately managed account. And we unlock a whole lot of opportunities around customization, tax management, and things of that nature. So it's a, it's a pretty simple concept, and that's where this term comes from. Um, and there are a lot of advantages, uh, particularly when it comes to customization and tax management. Now, talk to us about the advantages of owning these individual stocks, not only because you think that you want to get exposure to the market and exposure to the sectors that make up the broad market. Yeah, sure. So I think there are many advantages, and we think about them as enabling the investor to address a challenge that can be a personal challenge like tax management, which we shall talk more about. Um, it can be a portfolio challenge like wealth concentration. So direct indexing enables you to screen out certain sectors if you have wealth concentration. It also can allow the investor to express a view, and that can be a personal view like um, environmental or social values or religious values, um, or it can be a market view, a portfolio view, like whether they want to overweight or underweight certain regions or, or, or sectors and things of the na that nature. But certainly the thing that we talk the most about is the tax management. That's something that, as mentioned, is, is really top of mind, not only for high net worth and ultra high net worth investors, but really for all investors, because tax drag or tax leakage is, is a pretty corrosive um, phenomenon for, for investors' ability to accumulate wealth over time. And just the ability to, to defer those taxes can really have a meaningful and significant impact on a client's um, wealth accumulation over time. And so when we think about um, some of the tax management uh, strategies that can be employed in a direct indexing approach, one of the ones that is, um, is, is most, I guess, beneficial is tax loss harvesting. And tax loss harvesting is simply this idea that the investor can realize a, a capital loss in a portfolio like this one, um, and, and then buy a similar uh, not exactly the same, but but similarly economically exposed uh, security or baskets of securities. Um, and then the, the portfolio should continue to perform like the broad market, but you can lock in these accounting losses or tax assets. And those uh, realized capital losses can be used to offset capital gains coming from other parts of the investor's portfolio. Now, investors every year pay a, a lot of taxes in capital gains, or many investors uh, and, and many taxable investors pay taxable gains every year, and whether that's from selling out of, um, you know, a concentrated stock that they might have sitting in a brokerage account. Um, maybe it's from turnover, from an active strategy. Maybe it's just from rebalancing from equities into fixed income to, you know, being disciplined about asset allocation. In investors or individuals sell their businesses. Do so they have big liquidity events that can result in big capital gains? Um, you know, maybe they're saving up for a down payment on a house and they they're using their stock portfolio to do that. But then when they want to actually buy that house and make that down payment, they have to sell that portfolio and realize a lot of capital gains 
um, you know, investors are selling their their real estate, their primary residences and other real estate and and realizing capital gains. There's so many sources of capital gains that investors pay taxes on every year. And so utilizing taxes harvesting can help mitigate some of uh, some of those taxes, because, again, the investor can earn a broad market return, but also uh, realize these capital losses that can be used to offset realized capital gains from other parts of the investor's portfolio. So I, I want to dive into that a little bit more. And then I want to talk about some areas where having a, an accumulated pile, I guess, or an accumulated um, value of these of these losses that you can carry forward over a period of time can really help you in a lot of different ways. So so give me a little more clarity on in terms of how those losses uh, from, a, from a tax perspective are so important and so powerful. Yeah, absolutely. So you're exactly right. When you own a portfolio of stocks, again, that's going to approximate the broad market. Um, generally, the the market is going to move uh, as a monolith, right? And, and so again, you can own the market in, wrapped in an ETF, but the benefit that you get owning the underlying securities are that not only can you take advantage of market volatility, and we all know that investing in the stock market inherently there there is um, generally going to be lots of ups and downs, right? It's um, it, equities are a long-term holding in our view, and you have to be able to stomach some of the ups and downs within the equity markets. Um, but there's always going to be market volatility, ups and downs. The thing about Texas harvesting is that investors can actually benefit from that volatility. So instead of just being on this roller coaster ride and, and you know, hoping for the best, crossing your fingers, when the market moves up and down, that actually gives opportunity for a Texas harvesting strategy to, to help realize these capital losses and accumulate a reservoir or like a, a bank or a war chest, as, um, as some people call it, right, to carry forward for when they do um, have capital gains. Now, that's the market as a whole. And again, the market as a whole is relatively uh, volatile. And, and so that's actually one of the reasons why we think that Texas harvesting looking all throughout the year rather than just at the end of the year, right? So some people right. do their own Texas harvesting. Maybe they wait until the end of the year. If you wait until the end of the year, there may not be anything to Texas harvest and may not be any, um, any opportunities, or you may have missed out um, on an opportunity. Think about a year like 2020, where, you know, the, um, the, the market fell 30, 40% during the emergence of the coronavirus crisis um, around like the March, April timeframe, but then rallied through the end of the year and finished the year up 18%. So if you'd, if you'd just waited till the end of the year, you wouldn't have had any opportunity to, to Texas harvest. So, so we think it's really important that this is a, um, a year round strategy and not a year end trade. And it's something that Again, investors can benefit from market volatility. But in addition to that, Brent, as you said, there's also the opportunity to harvest losses on the individual securities that make up the market. So even if the market as a whole is moving up, that means that you know some of the stocks are, are going up and some of the stocks are going down. And so the direct indexing approach with tax loss harvesting, because the investor owns the individual securities, um, they're able to take advantage of the stock dispersion, uh, basically the movement of the stocks kind of going on below the surface of the water. And certainly uh, every client is different. Every client account is different because they're they're going to be buying into the market at different times. So you know, at any point throughout the year, um, a certain stock might be positive for one investor, but negative for another investor because they they bought it at different um, at different cost bases, right? So um, so again, the the 
taxes harvesting within the direct indexing approach, the benefits are, again, kind of monetizing volatility, being able to, to actually benefit, making lemonade out of lemons and benefiting from volatility, market volatility, but also being able to take advantage of individual stock dispersion and being able to take into account the client-specific cost basis of, of when they enter the market. And I think that's, that's, that's really critical because for those that, that have owned mutual funds in the past, the mutual funds at the end of the year are going to do some kind of, in many cases, capital gains distribution. And it's really possible to lose money in a mutual fund over the course of a calendar year, but pay tax because you know the, the mutual fund manager opted to sell some securities that may have been in the fund for years and years and years before you ever participated in it. But here, basically, what you're talking about is, is as you said, you know, the people that entered the market in... January of uh, of you know 2020 versus people that entered the market in March of 2020 had had very very different prices, and so the goal here is taking advantage of those losses as they arise, but also making sure you're not losing exposure because one of the things that I think hurts people as investors in a long period of time is they might say I've got a loss here and they throw their hands in the air and say I'm done with it, they sell the security they book the loss not a bad thing. But they, they've replaced it with nothing that is going to participate in the upside if, if and when the upside comes. And this is, again, it's something very different in, in, in terms of you're very systematically looking through portfolios and seeking to capture those losses on an ongoing basis. Now, let's talk about specifically for business owners. And I want to I put out there, let's, um, let's, take a, let's take a fictional person here that they've got a business that they believe they might want to sell in three to five years. And whether it's a succession to a younger generation or they're looking for a growth partner or they're looking for a pure financial buyer, whatever, whatever it is, there's a really good chance that there could be some sort of long-term realized gain in the sale of that business. So for that person, uh, to walk me through why this could be such a powerful tool to help them not just minimize taxes on their investments on a yearly basis, but also potentially minimize taxes when there's an exit for their, for their business down the road. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this is something that's really important for for these types of individuals, um, these types of investors, because they they work their whole lives building up this business, and um, when they eventually want to sell it, uh, they will hopefully actually right right that's the that's the goal. That's the hope is that they will have made a profit, will realize some capital gains. Um, now, if they're already planning to do that and they know that they're going to be realizing gains at some point in the future, let's say five years down the line, um, and they're also wanting to invest in the stock market anyway, in a strategy like this one, where they're earning the market return over the, the five-year time period, but they're also building up this, again, like this Worcester, this reservoir of capital losses so that in five years time, when they sell their business and they realize a bunch of capital gains, well, they can use the losses that they have, have built up in this strategy to offset some of those capital gains. And if they know that that's coming in five years anyway, um, and they also want the stock market exposure anyway, um, there there's really not a lot of good reasons why a strategy like, like this wouldn't benefit them. And, and I think that, you know, you mentioned earlier, it's so important that we're analyzing this trade-off between uh, deviating from the market, but, but realizing these capital losses, right? Sometimes I get the question, 
well, why would I want to own a strategy that that tries to lose money, that tries to <laughs> realize losses? That's not what we're doing, right? We're, we're trying to deliver the market return, realize these capital losses, but replace that exposure, as you've said, to make sure that um, you know, in a year like 2020, when you realize a bunch of losses in, in March of that year, you don't miss out on that 70% rebound that occurred from, you know, from the trough of the market through the end of the year. So that's what we're really trying to do for... Um, for investors is to try to deliver that broad market return, um, but also think about these capital losses and, um, and and thinking about it in terms of advanced wealth planning, right? Planning for five years down the line for anticipated capital gains, whether that's from selling a business or it's from selling a stock portfolio, again, to put a down payment on a house. But um, there's also unanticipated capital gains, right? Let's say you have a... Um, you're working for a company and, and you get paid an employee stock and then that company gets bought and that stock uh, vests right away and you have a taxable event that you maybe were not anticipating. So yeah. this type of a strategy can be really useful in those situations as well. And one thing you brought up a great point to clarify is is in you know, our goal with investing, we want to make money. <laughs> so <laughs> so we're not we're not talking about a strategy here designed to lose money. We're talking about strategy here designed to to grow your wealth along with what the overall markets are doing while taking advantage of the ability to, to, to realize losses in very small pieces of the portfolio that then you can carry forward. So you brought up a good point there. And, and to your next point, you know, I think this, the business center we mentioned, there could be a big capital gains event uh, along the way. We, we want to put some losses in the war chest that we can use to offset that. Another example, I think where, where the strategy works exceedingly well is let's say you have somebody that worked for, you know, big S&P 500 company for years and years, and they've accumulated a large position in, in an individual security. Well, there are some ways um, that you can at least try to mitigate some of that, that very company-specific risk of holding that individual security. This is one of them, but we'll talk about this one today. But in this case, you could be essentially opening a, a, an account, putting your highly appreciated stock in the account, building out some balance so you're not just locked into this one specific sector, one specific company, and then if, to the extent that you can sort of capture some of these ongoing losses with some of the other securities throughout the year, you can use those losses to offset peeling back that primary exposure, which is the big equity position you might have started with. Um, you you want to comment a little bit on that, Sirion, in terms of how often you see that 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 client needing this strategy? Yeah, we see that all the time. That's a, that's a very common use case. Uh, many clients or many investors have concentrated stock positions sitting kind of unmanaged in their brokerage account. They have a huge amount of, of single stock risk and they maybe want to diversify or their financial advisor is, is telling them they, that they should diversify. But in order to diversify, they're going to have to sell and, and realize capital gains and, and then pay taxes on those capital gains. And many of them just simply don't want to do, do that. Yeah. So a strategy like this one where it can be useful is, Again, you you fund the strategy somehow, whether with cash or maybe selling out of some of that um, that concentrated stock position, and then you're going to earn the diversified market return. But then, as we realize or harvest these capital losses, that creates a gain budget. Essentially, it it, it helps the investor sell out of some of that concentrated stock. So you know maybe we realize twenty thousand dollars in losses again while still earning the market return. That means the investor can realize $20,000 of gains in their concentrated stock. They, they sell some of that concentrated stock, realize uh, $20,000 in gains, and um, and it's totally offset and, and they can be tax neutral for the year 
but still get some of that benefit of selling that concentrated stock and plugging it into a more diversified strategy. And then in doing so, they get more diversification and then more ability to loss harvest the next year so that they can sell out of more of that concentrated stock the next year. And so they can kind of chip away at that concentrated position over time in a way that is really manageable from a tax perspective. And I think that's hugely important because I know I'm sure in your career, you've seen the same thing. People that have accumulated a large position in an individual stock, they there's a, almost a sense of loyalty that they have to that stock. It helped in many cases, an employer paid their family's bills that helped to make them, them wealthy. But the, the math is not on your side to, to have that position uh, indefinitely. I mean, you look the the corporate landscape is littered with very big companies from the Enrons to General Motors to you name it, you know, Lehman Brothers that were too big to ever go anywhere. It seemed like these impenetrable forces, fortresses rather, until the day they weren't. And so for those that may be listening that, that do have large concentrated stock positions sitting in a taxable account, this is really a strategy that, that you should consider to protect yourself and also protect your, your family down the road. Now you touched on earlier, obviously, a lot of people there, and and I'm not going to get into the politics of this because I know it's it's hugely um, it's it's very I guess emotional both ways. Some people ESG, environmental social governance. Some people are very in favor of using their money to support that kind of investing. Some people are really against uh, ESG being built into their portfolios. One of the things that I think again is pretty powerful about these strategies is that as 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 the account owner you have a lot of say in terms of individual sectors, individual types of securities that you want to purchase or those that you don't. So can you give us a little bit of color in terms of what, what some of the flexibility is to put your money where your values might be? Yeah, absolutely. It, and it's not political at all. Um, exactly. We have clients on on both sides of the political spectrum. The Again, the benefit of this approach is that it's customizable to the client's specific values. And so whatever their values are, um, it's not a one size fits all. It's literally looking through what are the things that are important to you? Is it is it animal testing? Is it controversial weapons? Um, do you want to apply Catholic values, Jewish values, Islamic values, right? There are a number of different um, types of um, uh, options that direct indexing enables for investors to be able to align their portfolios with their values. And again, it doesn't have to be ESG. Um, it can just be a uh, certain company. Maybe you just don't like a company. You you had a bad experience with them and you just don't like them and you want to exclude it. You can do that. <laughs> you can do it for wealth concentration purposes. Maybe you work for the technology sector and so much of your wealth is already tied up in technology. And so you want to screen that out to reduce your wealth concentration. You can do that. Um, you can, maybe you have a view on a certain um, sector underperforming the market. You can exclude it based on that, right? So it's um, the, the customization is more than just ESG and ESG. I, I think in some circles has a, a bad rap, but in this context, it's, it's really not about, um, forcing anybody else's values on um, on an investor. It's them looking within themselves and saying, what's important to me? And then being able to express those values and those views in their custom portfolio. 
Exactly. Exactly. So is there any other really great applications to this that you can think of from a client perspective? And I've got a, a couple other topics I want to touch on here before we wrap up, but is there any other client that you think uh, is walking in the door that this could be a, a particularly powerful strategy for? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, we touched on, on most of them. The, the, the one that maybe we didn't talk about was clients that might have portfolios of stocks kind of randomly sitting in a brokerage account. Maybe yeah. that's, it was, um, they inherited it or they, um, yeah, they, they've just accumulated a bunch of stocks over time and it's kind of not being managed professionally, but it's probably appreciated depending on, on when they bought it. And they are thinking about having a more managed strategy and maybe they want some, some tax benefits as well. Um, the one of the benefits of this type of a strategy is you can do a tax efficient transition, meaning the investor can fund a portfolio in kind with securities that they already own. Um, and we can do some some analysis around that, try to make that transition um, as tax efficient as possible, because there's um, there's cost associated with change. Right. And in this situation, that change cost comes in the form usually of realizing capital gains and paying taxes on those capital gains. Um, but the, the direct indexing approach can help the investor make changes uh, in a tax efficient manner. And, and just uh, even thinking about any other types of changes, I, I mentioned asset allocation changes. You want to, you know, as as investors become older, they they want to maybe de-risk a little bit, go from a 70-30 to a 60-40 or whatever the case may be. But in doing so, again, they're usually selling out of equities and realizing capital gains. Having this as a core part of their portfolio can help make some of those changes uh, more tax efficient as well. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up because we we have done those analysis in the past where people come in, they might have owned a basket of of equities for a very long period of time. Um, it's unbalanced. They've got deep embedded gains in all of these positions, and there will be some costs to the front. It's kind of like how much how much diversification do you want today? And there will be a price tag to do that. But then hopefully once you sort of uh, sort of bite the bullet and deal with what you have to do on the front end, you can get that process going to, to, be in the, to begin to build a much more balanced uh, portfolio moving forward. Now, the one thing I want to touch on really quick is this: all this stuff takes number crunching. It takes enormous technology. And technology is an area of this business that I think has radically, radically helped people over the last uh, few decades. Employing technology has allowed, has allowed a lot more investors, I think, to get to get invested in a lot more um, very useful strategies than in the past. And what you're talking about here in terms of these types of strategies, very customized portfolios, customized toward individual investors from both a philosophical standpoint and also the securities that they may also own. Tons of different prices in terms of the positions. You know, you could own across thousands of accounts, uh, shares in Microsoft, but their basis is going to be completely different. Talk a little bit about the kind of technology it's employed to make this sort of investing possible now and, and efficient. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is a lot of investment um, that our team has made in technology and infrastructure throughout the years. And in addition to that, you know, technology has has only gotten better over the last 20 years, of course. Um, you know, processing times are faster, um, you know, spreads have come in, more data is becoming available. So, um, you know, you think about something like ESG, where companies didn't necessarily report on certain metrics. Now, so many more do. And so we have that data to be able to to customize. Um, so I, I think it's a it's a combination of 
the the availability of data, the fast, faster processing times um, for uh, for computers and optimizations, but it really does take a tremendous amount of, um, of technology to have these very rules-based and, and systematic uh, processes that can really systematically examine that trade-off of taking deviation or, or tracking error relative to a broad market um, and, and realizing these capital losses, really kind of understanding that trade-off in a systematic way. Um, and so, you know, generally these strategies are very technology forward and, and require a big investment in infrastructure and technology. So I, I guess, uh, Syrian is an example of how much, at least Goldman as a company, believes in this strategy. If you're, if you're talking about people coming in your private wealth management group, these are people with $20, 25000000 million of investable assets to start with. You're using about 38, this is a core holding, about 38% of client money is almost almost automatically at least directed toward this type of strategy. Is that an accurate statement? I mean, I think it depends on the client. Certainly everybody's um, equity allocation is going to depend on their time horizon and their their investment goals. And um, but But yes, in general, uh, this is a core holding for the ultra high net worth and, and high net worth clients that we work with. Absolutely. And I think, again, to, to speak again to the technology and just the availability of really fantastic investment solutions that are out there to to everyone listening now, all of this technology and all of these different strategies uh, are are available. And so if it's something that as a listener anyway, uh, that you are interested in discussing more, uh, please reach out to me or remember my team. I'd be happy to have this conversation with you. And uh, Siri, if anyone wants to to chat with you or Goldman Sachs, is there a great way to get a hold of you? Uh, yes. Uh, well, I'm always happy to speak to uh, Teddy when they can reach me through you or through um, their Goldman Sachs representatives. Um, I'm, I think, I don't know if this audience covers more than that, but um, you can reach out to uh, to your Goldman Sachs representative. Yeah, and Goldman to us has been uh, very good partners, and, and Siri and I really, really appreciate you coming on today to talk about this stuff. I mean, you know, Eric, when we started, you said, "How do you get excited about taxes?" And the answer is, "No, I'm not excited about taxes at all." But I get really excited about ways that you can just maybe pay less than pay the pay the legally minimum required amount. If you can go and do that, then all of a sudden, this massive, massive drag on your investments to the extent that you can reduce that, uh, the outcomes down the road are just massive. It's absolutely massive. So Syrian, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about this stuff. Thank you so much for having me. Brent, that is exactly what people need to get excited about. So, and, and to answer your question, Syrian, this podcast is worldwide. Uh, Brent reaches a very large audience. So wherever your representative for Goldman Sachs is, look them up. Uh, Brent, thank you so much. Syrian, thank you so much. This has been a great podcast. And our and last I would, add, I would add, Eric, yeah. I, I can't, don't mean to interrupt you, but you know, we currently have clients in 26 states, uh, and it's very easy for us to take take on clients in new states. And in yeah. terms of uh, our Goldman representative that we have out here that we work with very closely, Steve, his name was mentioned, and uh, and he can for sure add some additional insight into all this. So if any, anyone's out there, doesn't matter where you are in the country uh, or even uh, some other parts of the world, we can certainly help you out. Yeah. And how do they reach you, Brent? Yeah, great. Uh, our office number here is 602-255-0555. I'm most active on LinkedIn. If you Google search me, you'll see uh, I have a LinkedIn page I'm pretty active with. And then also our website is mpadvisorsaz.com. And there's a lot of ways to reach us there as well. Fantastic. Again, thank you both. And our last thank you goes to you, listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Smart Money Simplified podcast with Brent Mikosh. 
If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Brent comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at MP Advisors, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Smart Money Simplified Podcast. Have any questions about topics covered during the show? Visit www.smartmoneysimplified.com or give us a call at 602-255-0555. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your individual situation. Securities are offered through Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, and SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors Incorporated, MP Advisors, LLC, is not a broker slash dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services.